Life Audio. Hey, welcome to God's Love for the Unlovable, the Unloved, and the Unlovely. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. In previous shows in this series, we've looked at people who would have been, I mean, real outcasts in the land during their day. The Samaritan woman might have been seen as a relational predator who destroyed families, lepers, women who struggled with chronic bleeding, were considered ritually unclean, or worse, uh, perhaps even cursed by God for some unrevealed sin, some dark secret. Same for the poor man born blind societally. They would have felt isolated, lonely, uh, shamed, losers, rejected by their own family and tribes. I mean, it, it was horrible. We must feel their pain. And by the way, we've all felt it a little or a lot at one time or another, if we're just honest. Maybe they prayed to God or whatever deity they believed in, but no one responded to them. Come on, we've all been there. I mean, I have. But then Jesus. Our God pursued them, not because they were righteous or good or handsome or beautiful or had enough faith God's love is for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. Such great news. Well, in this show, we're going to take a little turn. This poor woman, unnamed, we almost know nothing about her, her financial issues, nothing. All we do know is that she was already a widow, tragic, and now she's lost her only child. Uh, We don't know if he was young or of age. We just don't know. So what happens when the love of God for those who feel unlovable, unloved, unlovely, or let's add abandoned, or beat up, or overlooked. What happens when God's love bumps into this poor woman who is consumed with grief and loss, right? Feeling loved right now is not on her top 10 list. Her life has just been fractured again. Her soul is shredded, and this is it for her. All of us get that, a little or a lot, and the gospel makes a difference. What can Jesus possibly do? Well, this is her story. Welcome to God's love for the unlovable. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Luke 7, 11 to 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Wow, so terse. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
Wow. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. <laughs> they only knew. <laughs> they said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Luke 7, 11 to 17. Well, Nain, we believe, was a small Bedouin city on the side of Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor was a large hill sitting kind of alone in the middle of the large Jezreel Valley. It wasn't too far from Jesus' home of Nazareth. In fact, you could look over the ridge at Nazareth and see the town of Nain. Jesus and his disciples and a huge crowd were walking in the flat valley, followers of Jesus, and they came across another loud crowd coming out of the village, headed uh, towards the tombs, we think, on the eastern slopes of Mount Tabor. So picture a crowd of a thousand or more mourners for this young man who died tragically. We don't know the circumstances, but he was the only son left for this unnamed widow. We're not told how she lost her husband or if she had other children who had died, but we get the sense of the tragic finality of this event in her life. Can you imagine? See, now she's lost the only family that she had left. Death had taken away everything of value to her. Well, maybe she was wondering if she was the problem. Maybe she was cursed. Maybe she'd done something to offend God. Maybe she was hurting too much to even think. Maybe all she could do was cry out. Imagine the great pain, the overwhelming rush of emotions, or just flat-out blackout. So here's where we can connect with her in our sadnesses and losses. We've all been there. She certainly wasn't feeling loved by God in the moment, right? Well, in some circles, we know the crowd of mourners would form two lines and the family would pass between them. In her case, it would just be her and and the cart carrying her dead boy wrapped in cloths in, in a coffin, probably open. The crowd may be chanting, may God comfort you among the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Uh, Baruch, Diane, Amet, blessed is the true judge, or may you be consoled or comforted from heaven. Those were the typical sayings even today. I don't imagine that in the moment those words meant much to her because I'm sure that her brain was in this emotional shutdown, right? My father passed away last year. He was in his 90s. He'd been suffering for a number of years with dementia. So we knew that he was slowly dying, slowly losing those things that made him him. Uh, And so we were prepared for death. It was as if I'd lost my father's month before his actual death. And yet, as I tried to give my dad a eulogy that I thought he deserved, I could just blubber. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't control it. Um, So I get a little bit of the pain of loss that this poor widow was feeling a little bit. But she was feeling more, neuroscience tells us, when a mother in particular loses her child, the pain is far greater than other losses. I mean, grief is an intense emotion that crashes over us like waves, completely overwhelming, unable to be ignored. Grief is, is a moment, and it recurs over and over and over. You know, following the loss of any loved one, about 10% of individuals develop enduring chronic grief, but 94% of parents who've lost their child carry enduring grief for the rest of their lives. See see what this woman has in in store for her? Some of you know exactly what she's feeling. So anyway, that frightening day, she's just being swarmed by just the beginning birth pangs of grief because her son only died hours before this. Well, we're going to take a break 
for a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back and pick the story up. What happens when Jesus bumps into this, oh, this woman who feels unloved? Yeah, we'll be right back. In a Roman world, grief and pain and death were considered to be caused by demons who dwelled in the underworld. So this gnashing pain is the Algea, who were the personified spirits of pain and suffering, body and mind. So that included the realm of grief and sorrow and distress. They were the bringers of weeping and tears, that uncontrollable weeping that neuroscience says is just a brain function. They saw it as something more powerfully demonic. Look, I'm not suggesting that the woman was consumed by spirits. I'm just suggesting that the feelings that have consumed her feel alien, powerful, and out of her control. And she can't stop it. She's not in control. So what can she do? Who can help? Uh, This is from one mourning Jewish mother. People say, what can I do to help you? One of the unbearable things about losing a child is that nobody and nothing can bring my child back. He's gone forever until Moshiach comes, Messiah. You can't make my life any easier. Well, for this woman, Boshiach, the Messiah, came. Totally unexpected, not anywhere close to her wheelhouse. It wasn't in her wish list, right? He's just a stranger walking through the Jezreel Valley during this time uh, with an unwanted large following. I mean, she, she probably gazed out and went, oh no, could it get any worse? And then he's standing in front of her, maybe in between the two lines, stopping this, this entourage of her and her cart with her dead boy. Well, Luke's account of the explosion of God's compassion upon the shoulders of this lady is very powerful, but it's also very curt, very short. So he says that, one, Jesus sees her. Two, his heart is gripped with compassion, splagnitsamai. He speaks to her. He goes and resurrects her dead son, and he gives him back to her. Boom. I love it. Well, I'm indebted to Paul Miller and his great book, Love Walked Among Us. Here's what Paul says about this scene. The first thing Jesus does is look at the woman. The Lord saw her, not the crowd or the dead son. Jesus singles out the widow in the confusion of two colliding crowds. And when he sees her, his heart went out to her, Luke 7, 13. Compassion is the emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus, Well, how can you tell that a person feels compassion? What did people see on Jesus' features in this scene? After all, compassion is quite subtle compared to anger or fear. When I ask people what compassion looks like, they say it's communicated through a person's eyes. They're soft and tender, attentive, concerned. The entire body pauses and listens, absorbing the feelings of another. Perhaps Jesus stops in mid-sentence and becomes quiet transfixed as he looks at the widow, or maybe his eyes moisten and a tear rolls down his cheek. Whatever his reaction, it's noticeable. That's the point. Despite the commotion and distraction of the hundreds of milling people, Jesus enters this woman's world, feeling what it's like to be in her place. Our God does that. And look, I I imagine that's not what she or anyone else expected or thought was possible. There's a difference between seeing and seeing. The crowds had entered the same public space and were seeing. There's probably a lot of sadness and awkwardness and crying out and embarrassment, confusion. Nobody knows what to say or do. I've I've done so many funerals. 
uh, grateful that this didn't happen to you, and yet you feel pained and lost along with this woman, but you don't know what to say or what to do, and neither does she. But then Jesus, he, he doesn't appear confused or awkward in the presence of this tragedy. His attention, by nature, completely is intently on her, the one with the most pain. He sees the poor childless widow. He looks beyond her facial expression, deep into the open wounds in her shredded soul. That's what God does. That's what God does. That's what God does. Isn't that such ridiculous good news? That's my God whom whom I serve and proclaim, and he has done that for me on a number of occasions. That's amazing. He is most compassionate, and I want to feel that more. Well, Jesus sees people in pain. He sees into their pain without judgment or criticism. You don't see an I told you so. He's not listing sins that she's paying for. He's invested in this person right now. His sight, his gaze, is it impotent? If a look could empower hope, that's what happened here. His gaze injects hope into the truly hopeless woman. And plus, due to him looking into her eyes, her gaze... She also has to look into his eyes, his gaze. You know, I've spoken about the psychical connection uh, before. We call it attunement between a mother and an infant, typically. Um, it's a mother gazing deeply into her infant's eyes during, this, during an episode of his or her distress. She uses voice and tone and touch and sight until the baby borrows or taps into the mother's capability to emotionally regulate. It's as if the mother empowers the infant to emotionally regulate and to get soothed. The infant can't do it on their, his or her own. She's not created that way. Infants require a parent or caregiver to regulate. And suddenly the waves of uncontrollable emotions are now shared with another. It's as if the pain is lifted off of them and put on the shoulders of the mother or caregiver. I think that's what happens when Jesus looks at us. So this poor Widow found soothing in the compassionate, attuning, splagnitsamai gaze of Jesus. If you're suffering, if you've experienced great loss, chronic, you can too look up. We produced a program, Good Enough Parent. You can go through it, www.goodenoughparent.online. It talks about this. Uh, parents are invited And we teach them skills, how to attune with their child, infant or tweens or teens, one out of three interactions. Check it out. I think you'll benefit from it. Jesus, God, saw, felt, received this woman's pain. This attunement. He took on her pain, is what I'm suggesting. She was not a follower that we know of. She was not a believer in modern terms that we're aware of. Likely a Jew, but we can't even be sure of that. Was she a good person? Righteous, giving, willing to sacrifice others, a good mother? We don't know. And in a sense, what we're learning is it doesn't matter. She is a reflection of God. She's an image bearer of God in pain east of Eden. And God sees her pain. He feels her pain through Jesus, whoever she is. God sees and empathetically experiences and knows the pain of this sinner. Yes, This Jesus is not waiting for her to pursue him, go to the temple, make a sacrifice, confess sins. In this moment, she can't, she won't. So Jesus has to go to her. It's his mission for helpless, drowning people like her. That's what our God does. Well, what about her faith? We're not told that she has any. 
I don't imagine that she's praying to God for, with any real expectation that God is going to raise her son from the dead. Likely, she is mourning with prayers she has learned from childhood. Jesus does not say, your faith has saved you or has healed you. Luke 7, 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Yes and yes and more than that. Literally, they were all grabbed by a frightening awe. That was the idea. They were stunned. They were knocked flat. And they praised God saying, a great prophet has been raised up among us. God has come to exercise divine oversight for his people. This is what a good God does. Yeah. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. I want to play with that a little bit. The Greek word, uh, the heart went out, is splagnizomai. It refers to Jesus' gut-wrenching compassion, speaking humanly here. In the ancient understanding, the gut was the seat of emotions. Today, we, we believe it would be the midbrain, but the gut sounds better. So it's okay to say here that Jesus was, in a sense, overwhelmed with emotions, too. You know, when, when you think about God, you get this sense that he's a little indifferent, like he was a distant force of some kind, or worse, in harsh, cruel terms, you know, he's judgment and wrath. But here we see a different aspect of God. Humanly speaking, God's emotions of compassion and pity and empathy wrestle within him. Jesus, grab him, move him. Again, humanly speaking. God remains sovereign, right? No power, emotional or otherwise, can make him do anything. This is just how we humans must think of it. This is where we connect. And here, God connects. I mean, really connects with the pain of a poor, helpless widow. There's nothing she could do. By the way, he doesn't have to. But in a sense, this is his plan. The God of all knows. She is not only the object of his vision and attention, but his caring and love. And she has to feel that there's power there. There's no way for this to happen without her knowing it. Uh, remember the, 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 the woman of blood grabbed Jesus and power rushed out? I can't imagine that power didn't rush out, not just to heal the boy, but to begin to attune with her. She's gaining something from this interaction, this attuning with Jesus' gaze. I'm imagining, right? And he says simply, don't cry, <laughs> right? Well, that, that could be indifferent without all the rest of this stuff. It could be insensitive without the rest of this stuff. I imagine Jesus walking over to the dead child, touching him, and unbelievably, he's restored to life. But then Jesus isn't finished. Jesus then carries the young boy to her. I think that's the picture. Gives her the desire of her heart that she didn't even know to ask for. Maybe her brain was still spinning, maybe still traumatized, maybe blanked out, frozen. So Jesus takes the unclean, formerly dead, now alive boy out of the cart and carries him to his mother. Can you imagine the intimacy, the caring, the connection? Because he knows her deepest need and desires, even if her brain is shut down. And if you're suffering now, what a God we serve. Um, May I pray for you if you're a mother and have lost a child, um, or if you're a father and lost a child, Jesus, I would just simply ask that you look into his or her eyes, into the weary, pained eyes of your child and see them so powerfully, so powerfully that they would feel it. Your powerful, compassionate gaze does that. The woman it named could see you face to face. She could see. That is what I'm asking for. 
this woman or this man can't see into your eyes physically, your face. They need the faith that only you can bestow. They need you in front of them. She or he can't fix the situation, can't stop the grieving. His or her brain can't stop the inner turmoil unless your touch begins a healing for them. Holy Spirit, give them access to the necessary power from God the Father that can heal the pain of the loss, um, that can heal the sense of disattachment from their loved one, that can begin to heal the pain of the memories, that can begin to do something with a stark sense of loneliness and failure that just clings. Replace that with a poignant attachment to you and your love for him or her. Hug them so hard that they know it, they feel it, and begin to soothe the pain. Replace the cries of pain with cries of joy. This is in your hand to accomplish. Reach out to them, Jesus. Please, your child is in pain. Amen. Well, I hope this series has been helpful to you. My passion is to proclaim this love of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit that loves the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. I mean, too often we've come to think that God loves the righteous, the pure, the faithful, the good, the Christian who is enough, whatever that means, has done enough. Again, whatever that means. Well, that just doesn't fit with the biblical record. There's only been one who was proved enough to earn God's love, Jesus. The rest of us are in that unlovable category to one degree or another and have enjoyed the only love in the universe that is for the unlovable, that is for the unrighteous. There's so many hurting and lonely and isolated people out there and family and friends and neighbors. They need to hear of such a love. And that's our hope at Gospel App. This could launch a revival, something special, a flow of sinners into the kingdom, all loved by God and surprised. So if you benefited from this podcast, please give a comment wherever you listen to podcasts and officially follow the program. Very important. You get all the updates and new shows, special shows and interviews when they happen. I thank you ahead of time. I have a new book soon to be published about long overlooked and unappreciated women in the Old Testament. It's called Dance Daughters of the Most High. Uh, If you're enjoying this series, you're going to love this book. These are little-known stories about great female giants of the Old Testament that you probably don't recall and haven't heard much about, and you should. Uh, You'll be encouraged. If you want to know when it gets published, drop me a line, bill at gospel-app.com, and let me know what you think about this show. I would really appreciate it. You know, in the next show, we're going to see another case of God's love reaching out, surprisingly touching another desperate, unloved, and unlovable individual. You know, there's no other God that even claims to do this, and our God does it by nature. All of us are unlovable, unloved, and unlovely on any given day if we were only a little bit honest. Yeah? See you next time. Take heart, child of God. It's a crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.